My name is Dr. Michaela Keegan Yadley, and I've spent the last 17 years of my career in schools as a teacher and principal. I started the Dissect Ed podcast to help you by using my strengths of connecting and relating to bring amazing guests to you each week. We will cover a wide range of topics related to all aspects of and roles in education. My goal? For you to enjoy and feel successful in your role so we keep amazing teachers and leaders in schools. Thank you for all you do. Take care and enjoy. This podcast episode is brought to you by the 3D Printing Man. Get everything from custom food bowls for your pets to chore lists for your family in more than 15 vibrant colors, all custom designed. Visit his store on Etsy by searching the 3D Printing Man, all one word. Again, that's the 3D Printing Man on Etsy and get 10% off with the code DISSECTED. Welcome to another episode of Dissected, everybody. This week we're doing something a little bit different. I will explain that as we get into the show. What I wanted to do was just let you know that the topic for this week is something that, while I'm not an expert on, and I've definitely made my own uh, mistakes in the past, and I will continue to make mistakes because we all do, this is a topic that I feel not only extremely strongly about, but I have a lot of experience with. I think when people call me in to lead a school or to support a school, it usually is because this area is one of my strengths. And the reason is, part of it is just my upbringing, but a second part of it is my connection to people who I serve and really listening to them. So what you're going to hear today is a combination of my own just lessons and learnings that I've gone through as a school leader, um, things I experienced as a teacher, which were usually always good, and also conversations that I've had with people who have worked for me or students who I've had and really listening to what they've been through, what's important to them, what they value and what they need. So I hope that this episode is helpful to you. I hope that it is impactful. Um, and let me know if it resonates. Without further ado, let's get into today's episode. Happy Tuesday, everybody. Today's episode is a little bit different. I've decided to push back this week's episode to next week and take this week as a pause and reflect on what's most important to the healthy functioning of a school community. A healthy school community or culture is one where all people in that community, students, staff, families, leaders, feel supported, valued, needed, challenged, connected, and effective. Today, I'm going to focus on supported, valued, needed, and connected. This has always been true that people need to feel this way, but it's critical right now. And it also might be the hardest time for school and district leaders to make this happen, but we must. These nine lessons or conclusions I've come to are conclusions I've come to over the past nine years in school leadership and draw upon my experience before that as a teacher. They're rooted in my own experiences and heavily rooted in feedback from and conversations with colleagues, friends in education, former students, and people I coach. If any of these resonate with you or you'd like to talk about them further, either privately or on a podcast episode, reach out to me. 
You can email me at Michaela at drkeganyadley.com. I know that's a, uh, a mouthful and earful. Um, so you can also find me if you go to the episode notes. I link my email address right in there. You might be wondering why now? Why is this pause and reflect episode happening right now? And I mean, it's timely, right? So I think I might have kind of reached my limit in reading and the headlines about how burned out every, all everybody is and also kind of this critical tipping point we're at in education as it relates to our teachers and leaders. And it's not that I'm frustrated and don't agree with it. I, I have podcast episodes about it. I know that. I've been there and I've witnessed it happen uh, over and over, especially over the past two years, but, but even long before that. It's that I feel like it's time to do something about that. And this is one more way for me to amplify not only the voices of the people within the education community, but also a call to action for those in leadership to to act. Because what I'm about to pause and reflect on right now are things that don't take money. They don't take resources. It just takes perspective. It takes courage. It takes leadership. So... Here we go. Reflection number one, or lesson number one. We're in the people business in education. Now, I can't take credit for that line, but I've used it over and over and over for the past six or seven years. Um, A principal I worked with named Dan Seeger at Eldridge Elementary School in East Greenwich, I worked with him in a different school, He used to use this line all the time, we're in the people business, and it was so grounding. So anytime we were facing a challenging situation or dynamic with students or teachers, our own bosses, uh, parents, he would just say it as like a reminder to both of us that we're in the people business, so it's not necessarily going to be clean, right? The answers might not be clear cut. The responses might be difficult to swallow or we, you know, we may not be communicating exactly what we need to or we may not be hearing from people exactly what we want to hear. But we're people, we're humans, right? We're not products. And so being in the people business, A, makes it challenging, right? And B, it means that we really need to be creative, we need to be problem solvers, we need to be open, not take things personally and really be focused on how to best support the people that we either serve or even the people who serve us. So that was probably one of the biggest lessons I've ever had was when Dan would constantly say, we're in the people business because it just was grounding and it gave a reason for why sometimes things could seem just confusing and difficult to to handle. So as a, as a, as a leader, that was really helpful to constantly remind myself and have him remind us that we're in the people business. And that really is going to set the tone for the next eight lessons or conclusions that I've come to. So the second one is that when we believe in people, so kids, teachers, our staff, anybody who we either supervise or who we teach, it benefits both 
them and us. So believing in our students benefits our students, no doubt about it. I could give you lots of data points. I'm not going to do that on this episode. But when we believe in our students, they do better. But also we do better. We feel better. We feel like there's hope. We feel like there's a reason for us to get up every day and come into work on those really tough days when it's hard to get up. And as a school leader, shifting my mindset to believing in my staff, believing in the kids, obviously, also gave me a place to, or a reason to hope and a reason to be action-oriented and improving things because not believing in people means that there's no hope and no reason for me to continue to push forward. And so when we believe in our people, that is better for them and it's better for us. So what does this actually mean? We're slapped in the face with doom and gloom statistics all the time in education. And this is way before the pandemic, right? This, we've been slapped in the face with statistics since I started teaching and long before that. So it doesn't mean that we ignore them, right? Data is data and it's there for a reason and it's helpful. We need to make data-based or data-driven decisions. However, we need to acknowledge it, you know, work on it, and then we need to move forward in belief. I have lots of stories about students who have defied all the odds and the stats. Um, There's a group of students at Juanita Sanchez who started with me as freshmen, ended up graduating, getting accepted to so many schools, Howard University, um, you know, URI, Providence College, Georgetown, mostly on partial to full scholarships. And if we had just looked at statistics about them, uh, we probably wouldn't have believed they could do it. But there was so much more that made them up. The things that they were involved in, the leadership activities they, they did, the way that they tried to improve the school. There's so much more that made them up that it was easy to believe in them and it was fun too because it was really fun to see what they achieved. So believing in people benefits people, but it also benefits us because it gives us something to ground our our work in. All right, lesson or realization number three. This was a big one for me personally as a teacher and then it, it spilled over into uh, me as a leader. The kids will be okay. I think this is actually the title of a movie. Maybe not exactly. I mean, it might be the kids will be all right. But the kids will be okay. Actually, they're going to be better than okay. So we have students for a year, maybe two years, sometimes like in the high school level, you might teach kids as a freshman and then again as a sophomore or a freshman and a senior. Uh, if you're teaching in like a K-12 to uh, 12 system, you may have kids for multiple years. Elementary school, you might have um, kids for a couple of years. But, and then as principals or assistant principals, if we're in a high school, we're going to have kids for, for four years, right? Maybe the occasional kid for five years. Um, we're going to have kids for three years at a middle school, four years maybe a few years at elementary school. So we have them for a season, for a period of time in their lives. And sometimes I think, 
and I know I, I felt this, there's this pressure to make them into these people who are ready to take on every aspect of life and the future. And th I mean, that's our job. So it's not that we're just doing this because we think we have to. That is our job, right? And, you know, the mission statement of a lot of high schools that I've been to or worked at is to prepare students for success in college and the world beyond or to be a leader in preparing students for success in life after high school. And so we take that really seriously and we should, we should. But one thing that I realized was when I, is that the kids, they're going to be okay. So I remember my first few years of teaching, I had a student named Carlos and I was, I was really worried about him and, and he, there was a reason to worry about him. Um, I, he was such a wonderful, such a wonderful kid. And there were other aspects of, um, you know, whether it was his academic performance or other things going on that were really worrisome and that we were dealing with in real time. And, but I had to trust that Carlos was going to be all right. And we did everything we could, connected him with as many agencies as we could. We did everything we could at the school level, right, to make sure that when he graduated, he could follow through on his plans. And then one day, probably six years later, I actually ran into Carlos, might have been seven years later, um, at a hotel where there was a function. And I couldn't believe it. And I was so excited to see him. And he's, I said, what are you up to? He said, actually, I have a family and I've been working at this same hotel since I graduated from high school. I said, wow, that's amazing. He said, yeah, I'm actually a manager now and I'm working my way up. Uh, I've been doing a really good job and they like how I work. So I'm moving up the ladder in this company. And I had a moment of a little bit of guilt where, you know, I said to myself, why, why did I not believe this was going to happen for him? Or did I question this? Um, and so I had a few of those moments as I got to be six, seven, eight years out of being a high school teacher with seniors, you know, now they're, gosh, they're approaching 30 years old. And running into them and hearing what they were doing, I realized, oh, they're going to be all right. Um, and so letting go of that control or letting go of that feeling or the pressure that we have to do everything to make them perfect at life uh, will really serve us because then we, don't st we won't stress as much and we can enjoy having them as students and preparing them the best we can and then believing that they are going to do even better than we think. And by the way, are, do we perform perfectly in life? Right? <laughs> I mean, I don't. So I think, you know, the, making sure we're, we're um, making sure our expe expectations as far as like, will they do every single thing on time? Will they do every single thing perfectly? We just need to keep those in check and remember that the kids are really going to be okay. Some of them aren't okay, of course, right? I have some other stories that of kids that weren't that ended up not okay. But on a large scale, the kids are going to be okay. All right, lesson number four. This, it's hard to call this a lesson because this should just be something that we know already, but it needs to be stated. Number four is we need to value our employees 
as human beings first and play to their strengths. So this one goes out to my school leaders, district leaders, state leaders, any, anybody who's in a leadership position in education. This one is for you. We need to value our employees as human beings first. I'm going to give some examples of what I mean by this. So we are, we're in a school with a common mission, right? Just mentioned it in the last, in the last uh, lesson. And yeah, it's hard, right? And there's a ton of pressure on us as school leaders. I felt it and it was absolutely crippling most of the time. The number of check-ins that we have with our supervisors, the pressure that we feel, the, the walkthrough of a school building the day before Christmas break, wondering, you know, what's happening in every single class, or the walkthroughs during, you know, coming back to school in January as we were trying to test every student for, uh, for COVID. Um, happening in districts across the state, across the country, and, ha and having people walk through and, you know, ask where are all the students or why wasn't this lesson being taught on scope and sequence, whatever it was supposed to be. So, yes, as leaders, we have a lot of pressure on us. But I want to say that the people who work for us are more important than the pressure that we feel. So it takes a really firm mindset that people are that people are more important than a, any data point. That mindset needs to be so strong and we need to have a willingness to stand up to our supervisors to protect that. We need to have a willingness to protect those who work for us because they're people. Now remember, lesson number one was we're in the people business. So people, right, they have real people stuff that happens to them just like we do as leaders. And I want to give one example of the harm that can be done when this is overlooked. So recently I... Um, attended a service for a colleague of mine. She passed away on Martin Luther King Jr. Day. And she was actually the, the top, number one in seniority in the entire school district in Providence. And I, when she was sick and I knew she was, um, that she would probably likely pass away, I was really sad for her for the loss of her and what she brought to the, the school community at Hope High School. So I had that pain of losing somebody who I cared a lot about. I had the pain of knowing that people who meant a lot to me were gonna be really, really sad. But on the other hand, and this is something I, I really didn't share with anybody because I, I didn't want to add to any stress, but something that was really bothering me was what if they don't honor her in the way I think that she should be honored? And when I say they, I don't mean what if Hope High School, Hope High School I knew would honor her. But what if 
What if the city, what if the leaders don't honor her in the way that she deserved? And there's a reason why I worried about that. You see, there's a stigma or an, I should say an assumption that can be made about people who are high up in seniority and education. And what we tend to do is lose sight of who they are as people and what they might have contributed to the school, to our community, to their communities, who they were and what they brought. And I want to talk about Gloria Patterson for a few minutes, and, and I probably won't do this justice, but I remember my mom and dad and whole family actually attended Hope High School. My mom graduated in 1969, and I remember knowing and that Miss Patterson, she actually started teaching in Providence in 1970. So it always stuck out to me that you know she started teaching the year after my mom graduated. And I knew how challenging Hope High School was in that time in Providence and our, our country as a, as a whole as it related to the civil rights movement. Like we were in it, in it. This is 1969, 1970. And Gloria Patterson was a young black woman from the South, from Mississippi, who couldn't attend the school close to her house had to walk by that to attend a school that was for her. She worked hard to attend college. When I, I mean, my mom would tell me most women weren't attending college at that time. Never mind a young black woman attending college in the South. And then she took the risk to come out up here to Rhode Island and she moved here. She's a trailblazer. One of her friends shared at the memorial service for her that at the time when she was a high school teacher because she started off in middle school so six years later as a high school teacher she was one of only two black teachers at the high school level in Providence and she went on to become a coach and she was in the Hall of Fame but what she just just that alone what she did should ha have been not celebrated when she passed but valued while she was alive Hope High School had its own hero within its four walls. And the impact that she had on the students who came through, on the faculty, on me, we, it should have been paid more attention to and valued more. No matter how hard she made it to get to know her, that should have been celebrated and explored more. And that was what I was really worried about, that it wouldn't be. Um, so, and, and the reason I say this, it's not, I mean, the thing is, it's just the right thing to do. So there shouldn't need to be a big, over our, big, huge lesson or reason here. It's just the right thing to do to value our people. Why wouldn't we? But what happens when we don't value them? we communicate that they, that they don't matter, whether or not that's intended, okay? So remember I started off this one by saying that this might be the hardest time for school and district leaders to be leading right now. In fact, I think I know it is. <laughs> but there are things 
that need to be non-negotiable and valuing people for people as human beings needs to be one of those non-negotiables that you fight tooth and nail to protect and that you stand up to people who are pressuring you and and you protect the humanity of the people who work for you so that they have the space to be who they are and feel valued because without that people they 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 won't feel it <laughs> they won't feel valued so number one because it's the right thing to do but number two when people feel valued it's not even about like we know they're more productive right i'm not even going to say that it's just a better place to be when people feel valued it's a better place to be you can look up all the statistics about the outcomes that's not what this is about but when people feel valued it's a better place to be all right conclusion or lesson number five people remember what we teach them and how we make them feel so there's a, a famous um, quote by, I think, Maya Angelou, um, that it says people won't remember what we teach them, but they'll remember how we make them feel. I agree with that. But I think that we could say that people do remember what we teach them. And I'm going to stick with my Hope High School community here. I taught there just for some backstory. Um, that was my first school that I taught at. I taught there for seven years. It was the best time in my career, um, hands down. And it's special to me for so many reasons. It's special to me for the community that it was when I was there. It's special to me for the community that it still fights to be the members of it. And it's so special to me because of the community that it always has been for my family. Because not only did my mother and father graduate from Hope High School and you know most of my uncles and aunts, but my grandfather actually graduated from Hope High School in 1934 before it was the huge, beautiful building that it is on Hope Street now. So I grew up with Hope High School as part of my family, right? Every single gathering with my family, every holiday, it was story after story after story of Hope High School and growing up together as a community in, in Providence. So when I... I hadn't seen or been into the, the community in a while um, when I attended the, the memorial service in Wake last week for Miss Patterson. And I actually, I don't know why, I think I expected not to see so many people because it was during the day. And when I, and I was also nervous because I knew it would be really sad and, you know, those things are not fun to attend. But I was blown away, absolutely blown away. Number one, by how many people made sure they could attend. I don't know what they had to do to get there, but they got there because it was during the day. So that conveyed the importance of Gloria Patterson and the sense of community around her and around Hope High School was palpable. I saw alumni that either graduated from Hope in the 80s to students that I had in 2007, to current students who were on her basketball team, because yes, she taught and coached until December. 
the community of students there it's it, it's it's the alumni network from and I, I say network because there is an association but I just mean the alumni from Hope High School it's a special group there's something that bonds people who have attended that school who've worked at that school and I'm actually going to read you um I'm going to read you some of the comments I have from people uh that I've talked to over the past week about what the Hope High School community has meant to them. I can tell you, um, you know, I talk about people remember what we teach them and how we make them feel. I'm going to say that my mom, I'm going to make sure she listens to this episode because I don't think she listens to my podcast, but my mom, I don't know how much she remembers of what she was taught at Hope. I think um, she would agree with me and she would laugh. Her twin sister, though, she was a, a more committed student, I should say, my Aunt Mary. But my mom, she missed a few days of school. Uh, they also were going through, uh, you know, losing their, their mother, uh, my grandmother, while they were in high school. So there was a lot going on. But, you know, my mom uh, maybe didn't go to school as much as she should have. Um, but she certainly remembers how that community made her feel. Because growing up, those stories took over every holiday. My close-knit family, that's until I was 28, 30 years old. That's all we talked about was their memories from when they were younger. Now, they weren't always all good, but they were they were all memories that were heartwarming. There was always a lesson embedded into them. And so I grew up with that as part of my fabric. So when I ask people um, what they most value in their community, I got so many answers. I got from Jen, the students and the staff. She was a teacher I taught with. Another teacher that I taught with, she said she valued the camaraderie when everyone was on the same page, especially, you know, a lot of us worked together when the state took it over in 2005. Much different state takeover than the current state takeover, I will say. Um, but yeah, the, she said the staff, the staff with big heart eye emojis, I was Marianne. Um, Francesca said her first years of teaching experience were at Hope during um, her pre-practicum and when she was getting ready to student teach that she actually requested to go to Hope and she was the only one in her cohort who wanted to go to Providence. She knew she wanted to be a teacher there and she was lucky to meet great educators, administrators, and friends who are some of the best in education. She'll always cherish her moments at Hope. One of my former students, he got really specific he said he had to really think on this. And what he said, what made Hope so special, especially compared to other schools, is that it bred a healthy competition. Now I'm reading this and like, where's Curtis going with this? But he talked about how it was broken down into the three different academies with distinct intentions really set in motion. And it was a way to compete, but also uplift people and to shape the idea that it's okay to push one another to excel. And to think about Curtis, who was, you know, 16, 17 years old back when... He was, you know, back at Hope High School, this is going back 15, 16 years ago. And he remembers it to this detail. Um, yeah, I remember the, you know, we'd have field day where the three different schools were competing against each other. Was everything perfect? No, I'm sure there were things that the administration was dealing with. But what they did was they created space for the students and the teachers. I was a teacher at the time to have these moments of community, healthy community and it allowed an entire generation of kids and teachers to flourish. A teacher who has since retired, Debbie, she said that it was the staff concern for the students' well-being. 
academically, socially, and emotionally. And that it was hope leading the way with the advisory periods. Now I remember this because I remember I was a teacher at this time at Hope. And I'm thinking, wow, like Debbie is in the middle of her career towards the end of her career and she's remembering it in this way. And she was saying that like this allowed one adult to really get to know each child in the school. The kids couldn't be anonymous anymore, right? They they couldn't they they couldn't get lost in being unknown. So that she's right. Hope was a leader in that at the time. And it, I mean people feel they feel it's, this is not just kids everybody. This is teachers saying this is how this made me feel. She said that also, like, we had common planning time, we collaborated, the sharing of ideas and concerns about students. She also talks a lot about that, remember, this is the first state takeover, and, and I mean, I'm not even going to say at the risk of sounding political, because I don't care how I sound, I'm going to tell you that that state takeover was was wonderful, right? The staff, 100 teachers, students, administration, this was my favorite year of teaching, my favorite time of teaching. And she what it's interesting to see though what Debbie says because I was a brand new teacher. I knew no differently. But Debbie had been teaching for a long time. And she said that what the commissioner did then was he set it all up, right? He expected change, but then he took a step back. He stepped out of the process and he ordered this change from hope to stop being the dropout factory. And I remember being in my uh teacher uh, development program, right, at Rhode Island College. And I remember, like, that was the headlines back then, like, dropout factory, it's a factory model, dropout factory, Hope High School, you know, worse than the state. And it's funny because I was like, I want to go there. <laughs> I want to teach there. And also my parents went there. Um, but the commissioner said this isn't going to happen anymore. But then he he set it up and he stepped back. And she uses the word trust. She said they, that that he trusted or his team trusted that the what he set in place would work. And that had a huge impact on Debbie. So that feeling again, right? So yeah, she remembers what she learned. She remembers the common planning time and the things that as a teacher, and I do too, we learned some incredible lessons as teachers there about how to teach and how to plan and how to prepare. But we remember the feeling. I actually heard from somebody who I uh, I don't know. Her name's Kathy. She says she loved being a lunch lady at Hope High School and she loved the kids. A true community. A true community. A former student who I connected with, Alessandra, said there was a great staff who truly cared about the students and they believed that the kids could do well and didn't assume there would be another statistic. I, Alessandra and I did not talk about this, but she's saying exactly what I've been saying. So again, people remember what we teach them and how we make them feel both. They remember both. Okay. I get really passionate about that because honestly, honestly and truly Hope High School, it, it, whenever I see somebody, if I haven't seen them in 10 years and we get together, we talk about that time at Hope. So I know that the community there, it's not just from that time, that community stands strong um, and it's a really special community. All right, let's get on to number six, six of nine. Um, my sixth realization lesson um, that I've taken away is that if you're lucky, like I've been, at times, you will have a supervisor who cares about your well-being and acts on it. 
But most of the time, you're not going to have that. Just being real with you, okay? If you're a teacher, if you're a leader in schools, you're lucky if you have a supervisor who truly cares about your well-being and acts on it, not just tells you I care about you, right? They actually make you, we all know what this feels like <laughs> when somebody says they care, but they don't act on it, okay? When somebody tells you they care about you and they act on that and, and whether they say, you need to go home for a half day. I can tell you're not, you know, are you okay? Um, don't worry, I've got it covered. Why don't you go home, do what you need to do, attend, to, you know, whatever happened, go, go take care of that. We'll figure it out. We all know the power of hearing those words. And if we haven't heard them, you know, oh, I say I have. But if you haven't heard those words, you probably wish every day that somebody would say that to you. So if you, you need to take care of yourself and your own well-being, no matter how hard that is for you to do. Now, this is not talking about self-care. It is, but this is like, this is like it when it comes to self-care. This is you taking charge of your own well-being. So you need to take care of your own well-being no matter how hard that is for you to do. And I can use myself as an example here because I have a hard time take care, taking care of my own needs. I usually will put everybody else's needs before mine. And I still do that to a degree, but what I do, I understand now what it truly means when somebody says you can't pour from an empty cup and that you need to take care of yourself in order to take care of others. That whole airplane, you know, oxygen mask analogy. I, you know, I understood it conceptually when I would hear it, but I really didn't understand what it felt like or how it applied for a really long time. But here's what it boils down to. You, when I say you need to take care of your own well-being, no matter how hard it is for you to do, you need to take care of your physical health, your your family's health, and your mental health. When I say family health, I just mean if somebody's ill or you need to be there for them, or your children, you need to be there for them. So your physical health, your mental health, your family health. Non-negotiable. So let's play this out a little bit. If you are somebody who feels guilty or bad for taking a day off, and it's probably most of you listening right now because that's how we are. We're wired that way a lot of the time. So if you're someone who feels guilty or bad for taking a day off, for example, then what you need to do is you need to take the emotion out of the decision to take the day off. What I mean by that is if you know that you are somebody who is going to struggle to take that day because you feel but you feel bad for the teachers that might have to cover for you, you feel bad for your principal because you really like them and you know, you feel bad they're going to have, they're going to be extra stressed or the, you know, the administrative assistant who's going to have to, you know, worry about the coverage or you're still, what you can worry about everyone. You need to take the emotion out of the decision to, and then the action of putting in that, that day, that sick day. So what you need to do is just tell yourself, I'm doing it. Tell, make yourself go to the computer and put in the day. That's it. Don't think about it. Don't think about all the other things that it could, um, the ripple effects it could have. You have to make yourself, just take yourself out of your body and you get yourself to your computer, put in the day. Because you're going to feel relieved once you do that. 
And when you take that day, you do whatever you want to do, whatever it is you need to do. Whether it's sleep all day, whether it's, who knows, maybe you'll, I don't know, go for a walk. <laughs> um, whatever it is that you do, whatever it is you need to do or take care of your health need, do it. But the bottom line here is if you, it's hard for you to take a day out because you feel guilty or bad, then you need to take the emotion out of the decision to and action of taking that day off. Get yourself to the computer, put the day in, and then worry about it later. Because I promise you, once that day is in, you'll feel relieved. All right, number seven. Don't wait to seek help if you're experiencing feelings of despair, stress, lack of hope, anxiety, burnout. This one's really important. And I remember when I was a principal, I waited too long. I don't know why I waited so long because I, I believe wholeheartedly in therapy and, you know, taking care of our mental health. I don't think I understood truly what mental health really was, even though I have a psychology degree, I can rattle off, I can rattle off anything. I could, I can help everybody else with their own I don't think I understood my, what my own mental health was, what it meant. So I waited too long to seek help when I needed it. And, you know, I'm grateful for the help I've gotten and I'm glad that I finally decided to take that step. But I think that things possibly wouldn't have gotten so bad for me had I sought help earlier. And it's the hardest thing to do when you need the help to seek the help. So I know that. But if you're experiencing, and I don't actually know anybody who might not be experiencing despair, stress, lack of hope, anxiety in the field of education right now, but check in with yourself because if that's preventing you from kind of doing, like functioning daily as you, as you have in the past, then reach out. Even if you're just telling a friend who you know will hold you accountable to making an appointment with somebody, seek help because a lot of people are struggling. And don't do it alone because we've never been in a time like this before. All right, number eight. This is for our leaders again. And this is really important. <laughs> you need to give your school space and time to grieve the loss of a faculty member, a student, a member of, the, of your school community. I'm gonna say that again. You need to give your, your school space and time to grieve a loss. I have a lot of experience uh, of examples of schools that have done this well and what it's done for those schools. And also I have some practical tips for if you haven't gone through this before as a leader and you experience a loss in your school community. So the first time I experienced loss in a school community was actually as a high school student myself. We lost six kids when I was in high school. And I mean, and then my, the high school I attended, I'm, I'm 41, didn't lose another student until this year. So that was obvious that those four years are uh, kind of infamous and they were an anomaly. But, you know, as a student, I just remember the sadness, the impact, right? But... I didn't experience it again until I was a principal. And I experienced the loss of a student. 
a couple of times uh, and a faculty member. Um, and it's hard. So the reason why we need to give our school space and time to grieve a loss, again, I mean, it goes without saying it's, it's the right thing to do. I can't see another way. Like there is no other way in my eyes. However, I've seen people, I've seen schools not have the time and space to, to grieve the loss. So let's talk about that. Because it might not be that the principal's a bad person, right? But maybe they feel like they can't give that time or they don't know how to. So let's talk about that. If you don't know how to navigate losing somebody in your school community, I mean, hopefully you don't because it's terrible. It's one of the, it's the worst feeling, the worst. It's awful to watch a community grieve, but it's important to allow them to. So call a colleague who has. A school actually did that this year. They called me. I'd never worked with them before. But they called a colleague and the colleague recommended that I that they call me for, for support and for and to help guide them through that time because they hadn't been through that before and they had a really tragic loss of a student. And what we were able to do for them and with them in, in partnership was to create the support system and for the students and for the staff and for the leaders of that school because that is a heavy, heavy, heavy burden to bear when you yourself are grieving and you're a leader. So call a colleague who has, because they'll they'll help guide you through it. Because once you have that, it's like an education you can't get rid of. You you know what to do moving forward. Um, enlist your your support team at your school. So talk to your social worker, psychologist, um, guidance counselor, anybody that you have, talk to them, right? It's like a, the crisis team at the school. And then talk to kids. So depending, obviously, on the age group, but kids will help guide you through it. They really will. They'll tell you what they need. They will come to you. If you if you create the space, they will come and they will guide. They will tell you what they need instead of you having to guess and wonder. You know, when you when you allow your school community, so students, teachers, staff, yourself to grieve a loss it allows healing, but it also allows a greater sense of community, right? Because going through something like that as a community is really tough, but you need to give them the opportunity on the back end to kind of close that loop together in some way, right? And it's different depending on each situation. So it's not like there's one set way to do this, but it has to be done. And what it does, it brings that community together and the community actually ends up stronger. And if everything I read to you from the comments from the teachers and students that I, I asked about the sense of community, that sense of community breeds commitment, a stronger sense of caring, right? So you have to give your community a chance to grieve. And it also sends a huge message to your faculty and to the kids that the person that you lost is important and that they mattered, that their life mattered. So the person who you lost may not be with you anymore. They're not going to get that message. But the people that are still with you in the community, they are. And the unintended consequence of not allowing this time in the space, I should say, to, to grieve and mourn and come together as a community not doing that 
sends an unintended message that possibly that person didn't matter. And if that person didn't matter who gave 50 years of their life to teaching at Hope High School, then does, do I matter? And we don't want to send those unintended messages to our staff and to our students. Finally, lesson number nine. Okay, keep going. This is for everyone listening. Keep going. Things are going to get better. We have a lot of work to do, obviously, and we can decide how we approach it. We get to decide. Okay, we get to, we may not think we get to decide, but we do. We get to decide how we approach this. So I'm going to end this here by saying that we need to approach the work ahead with hope, love, and compassion in our hearts and in our actions. We have to prioritize hope, love, and compassion because hope, love, and compassion and making academic gains are not mutually exclusive. We can do both. We just have to create the space for both to happen. Thank you for listening today. I think it's important to pause and reflect and make sure that we keep people at the forefront of the work that we do, especially now and especially moving forward. Have a great week. See you next week. All right, everyone. Um, I know that that is kind of a heavy topic, but it really it needs to be, right? Because we are in heavy times and we can't dismiss that. We need to acknowledge where we're at. We have to acknowledge where we've been in education. This is not a COVID or a pandemic-related episode. This was the things that we're talking about. These challenges and these needs have existed far before uh, COVID and the pandemic, but they are so much more pronounced now. Um, so I invite anyone who was listening who might have something they want to explore further to, to reach out to me. Again, Michaela at drkeganyaley.com. I'm also putting that in the episode notes because I don't know if anybody could spell that on their first try just by listening. Um, but I invite conversation about this. I invite school leaders, district leaders on or just to have a conversation, even if it's in private, teachers, this topic of what we're going through in education right now can't be ignored, but we also can't live in the constant state of stress and in the headlines that we're seeing. We have to move into action and then into making it better. So I hope that this was a helpful episode. Um, it's really nothing that's like, super, it's not something that's extremely uh, mind blowing. It is just rooted in what's right. So until next week, I hope you have a fantastic week and I will see you next Tuesday. Take care.